0: UK HealthCare, the power of advanced medicine. Presents our doctor and med staff pod chats. This is UK HealthCast. Here's Melanie Cole. If your child needs surgery to fix a deformity caused by a birth defect, injury or illness, a pediatric plastic surgeon has the experience and qualifications to treat your child. My guest today is Dr. James Lau. He's an associate professor of plastic surgery at UK HealthCare. Dr. Lau, before we talk about cleft lip and palate and plagiocephaly, I'd like to ask you what kind of training do pediatric plastic surgeons have? What makes you so unique that you can work with children with these kinds of sensitive issues?
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Actually, for pediatric plastic surgery, it's a subset of plastic surgery, and in order to complete plastic surgery here in the United States, you need to do at least a one-year internship for general surgery, and then, uh, depending on the program, six years of plastic surgery, um, or five to six years of plastic surgery after that uh, that you then proceed on to doing a pediatric plastic surgery fellowship which is usually a, a one year length and that usually focuses on congenital anomalies such as cleft lip cleft palate skull anomalies um, vascular tumors and um, other sort of associated congenital issues
0: then let's start with cleft lip and palate how common is it and really tell us what it is and how it happens
1: sure um well it's 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 relatively common even in the united states and uh, oftentimes you associate cleft lip and palate uh with uh, conditions in other countries uh for example you know global health trips or mission trips are very commonly You know, focus on cleft lip and palate, but the reality is, in the United States, it's quite common as well, and it's usually about uh, one to two percent of uh, live births. Um, No one really knows why uh, cleft lip and palate happen. There's a lot of other issues which can occur, including uh, family history. Um, Sometimes, you know, obviously environmental factors, such as um, maternal factors, can uh, cause a cleft palate, for example. But no one has like a smoking gun, so to speak, as to why cleft about occur.
0: Can you tell if a fetus will have it and and what are some complications if it's left untreated? Is it difficult for children to eat and drink with cleft palate?
1: Absolutely. So, the cleft lip and cleft palate, they're usually diagnosed in a prenatal ultrasound. A uh, cleft palate by itself is a little bit more difficult. It depends on, you know, sometimes the luck of the draw. And, you know, a lot of kids, they like to hide their faces, you know, when you try to do the prenatal ultrasound. But routinely, um, I would say 99% of my cleft families that I meet, uh, I meet prenatally. Uh, because we have it on the ultrasound tonight to meet with them, tell them about what is going to happen. Uh, a lot of issues occur with cleft lip and palate. Uh, feeding, as you mentioned before, is a, can be a real issue. Uh, these children cannot generate suction, and as a result they need to be fed from special bottles or special techniques. Uh, the other issues which can occur with time is that, obviously, the nose uh, you know, area and the mouth are... Basically, there's no uh, palate in the way, so to speak. And so eating solid foods can be an issue, can come up the nose consistently. Um, But ultimately, the thing that uh, is probably the most... Most dramatic for a child is obviously not only the appearance, but the function. Without a palate, a child cannot talk well and cannot talk in a way that can be understood. And obviously, as social beings, that is very you know is a devastating deformity. And as a result, they do not socialize well. Uh, they do not you know have friends, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it can be very functional, uh, both socially and uh, physiologically.
0: So then when is the right time to consider surgery when you're counseling parents about this? When does the surgical procedures start? And I said procedures, because I know that it does sometimes and quite often take many procedures. When do you start that discussion with the parent?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the prenatal visit, I think, is extremely key because it, it gives the parents a little bit of, um, you know, obviously information. Uh, unknown is very scary, but also gives them a timeline and. You know, we used to try to fix cleft lips by two months of age. Now, I think with the current uh, standard of cleft care, that's pushed out to more three to six months of age. A lot of the rationale behind that is simply that children are bigger, it's easier to fix them, and there's you know absolutely no rush uh, once we kind of get over the feeding uh, difficulties of a child. Um, so the first year is the busiest year. Uh, cleft lip repair around three to six months of age. The palate repair is a little bit more stringent in that I like to get it done before a year of age, so anywhere from 10 to 12 months of age. The reason for that is, you know, the kid, well, I should be doing fine with the cleft palate once we kind of get over the feeding, as mentioned before. But what a child can't do, as we also mentioned before, is to talk uh, or talk well. Generically speaking, a child will start talking about a year of age, and so we would like to have the palate fixed and in place before the child's brain really starts to uh, begin the process of, you know, speaking and sort of the familiarity of speaking. Um, but that's just the first year. After that, uh, there are several other surgeries, unfortunately, for the child. Um, usually, around five to seven to nine years of age, we may do a lip revision or a nose revision if the child has a full cleft lip. Um, once again, we focus this on speech. Uh, for some reason, sometimes even though we put the palate and everything in the right place, speech is still problematic. And as a result, they may need a secondary surgery on their throat to help them speak well. Um, if they, uh, um, you know, have a cleft in the gum line, which is usually the case with cleft lips and palates, then around, uh, nine to 12 years of age, uh, we'll put a bone graft in from their hip, using the bone marrow there to allow the tooth to grow in normally. And then usually we do another sort of revision, uh, you know, like a rhinoplasty or a nose surgery, um, because they're more finished growing around 12 to 16 years of age. Uh, occasionally, depending on the severity of the cleft, they may need some jaw surgery, and uh, that would also happen around 12 to 16 years of age. So as you can see, it's a it's it's a lifelong, <laughs> unfortunately for the children, a lifelong process.
0: Dr. Lau, since you mentioned feeding and talking, and because this takes so many years to really get to the point where the child is comfortable with it all, what type of specialists are involved in treating the child with cleft lip and palate as they grow?
1: There's a very large multidisciplinary sort of approach. Um, not only do you have the physicians, which would include a plastic surgeon, um, but ear, nose, and throat surgeon to make sure that the hearing is doing well. Oftentimes with the cleft palate, you have hearing dysfunction, and that's just from fluid buildup in the ears. Um, you have oral surgeons who will also do the jaw surgery uh, when they're a little bit older. Um, but you also have uh, you know, a speech pathologist, and that is probably one of the most critical uh, personnel in the multidisciplinary approach. From there, they can diagnose any sort of speech disorders, uh Stratify whether it's simply a physical issue with speech, or whether it's a mental, or if it's both. And obviously, an institute of therapy required uh, to make sure that speech therapy is doing fine, and their speech is doing fine. Excuse me. Uh, pediatric dentistry is often involved because there can be anomalies of the teeth. That's not uncommon then uh, orthodontists are also involved to make sure that the teeth start getting lined up especially when we look towards bone grafting to get the adult teeth in place that's pretty important the you know on the more social side you definitely need a social worker there's a lot of visits uh nurse coordinator is integral because there's a lot of appointments to make and it's very difficult sometimes to figure out where to go and um just to kind of you know uh you know maneuver your way through the healthcare system um, and then nutrition. Uh, nutrition is a big key, especially in the beginning. Uh, they work closely with, uh, with speech pathologists to make sure that they're feeding well. So, as you can tell, it's a whole host of uh, personnel and, and healthcare specialists in order to bring them the best care.
0: Well, it certainly is multidisciplinary, Dr. Lau. So, now let's talk a little bit about plagiocephaly. It's a little bit more common even than cleft lip and palate. What is it, and why does it happen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say probably a good third of the kids I see in my clinic are uh, kids from uh, what we call plagiocephaly or deformational plagiocephaly. And uh, luckily, that's uh, not surgical. So that's one thing I want to emphasize right off the bat. Um, however, it can be sort of a problem. Um, usually what it is, and basically what we're talking about is when you see a child, the forehead is very asymmetric. Uh, one side juts out more uh, the back of the head is quite flat and obviously, and oftentimes in a sort of a, in an angle. Um, the ears, like I mentioned before, jet out in a different way. Also, the, uh, sometimes the jaw can be smaller on the affected side. And basically what's happening is that during, you know, uh, while the child is developing the belly, their neck is usually tucked in a certain way. When they come out, they are sort of fixed in that position. Um, if it's very severe, it's basically torticollis, which you basically have a uh, neck muscle spasm. So the overwhelming majority of kids sort of work out of it. However, in this country, we're a back-to-sleep nation. And subsequently, because of that, um, you know, the skull is quite flexible at that age. We put them back to sleep, and so their neck is tilted a certain way. They're a back-to-sleep child, and so they flatten out in that area, and it's oftentimes not symmetric. The skull uh does what it's designed to do, which is to sort of accommodate pressure and allow the brain to grow, and as a result, it grows asymmetrically, or, you know, uh, one asymmetrical, for for example, the forehead is more, is more forward on one side, the ears are a little bit off, and as a result, you know, I often see a lot of these kids coming in uh, for this sort of deformity. The treatment is pretty straightforward, though. As long as you get them off the back of the head in that region, the head will round out, um, and I usually don't treat, You see the biggest difference usually around four to six months of age, uh, up to eight months of age. And the reason is because, you know, at that time, kids have great neck control. They're looking around. You come in in the morning to the crib, and they're on their face, even though you put them on their back. So they're wiggling. Uh, They're looking around a lot more. Uh, Belly time obviously helps because it gets them used to being uh, on their belly, off the back of the head, and as a result uh relieve you know alleviate that pressure and subsequently allow them to grow more in a round fashion
0: so it grows it goes away
1: it can go away so the the trick is the, the timing um the if for kids and there are some kids for whatever reason um you know for example, a more severe case would be a child with cerebral palsy uh you just cannot get them off their back or you cannot get their neck straight out enough. Uh, Unfortunately, in those cases, we do a shaping helmet. And how that works is that um, I send them to a prosthetist, and the prosthetist who specializes in this gets a sort of an image of the skull of the head, um, and then they make a helmet. Now, the helmet doesn't squish them down or anything like that. It doesn't compress them. But what it does do is it blocks the areas that are asymmetric, and as a result, the head will continue to grow into those areas and round out. The trick though or the issue is that the the time that the helmet is most effective is before one year of age. Um the skull the brain actually slows down on velocity in the in the head growth uh circumference range uh around a year. And so if you're gonna use a helmet you harness that sort of uh growth and that you know, the velocity of the head growth to round it out. So if you put a helmet on after a year of age, it tends not to be as effective because it's just the brain is just not growing as quickly anymore. Um, for me, and different practices vary, but for me, uh, a kid who if you shape a kid at six months of age and you shape a kid at eight months of age, at a year's time, they're both could be the same. But the number of kids that require helmet therapy at eight months of age drops dramatically. So it's just that natural growing, looking around, getting off their back. From that, you know, those two months in itself can make a huge difference.
0: So interesting, Doctor Lau. Wrap it up for us. What you'd like the listeners to know about cleft lip and palate and plagiocephaly, and why they should seek out a plastic surgeon and and ask these questions if their child has one of these issues.
1: Absolutely, uh, cleft lip, cleft palate. In my mind, in my in my practice, in my experience, there is no reason why your child should be have any sort of disability or anything to hold them back in life from being a very happy, productive person in life. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the special training that we receive and just the focus that we have and the sort of different perspective we have on cleft lip and cleft palate. So definitely if your child has a cleft lip cleft palate, find a center, find someone who specializes in cleft lip and palate versus someone who um, more or less, quote-unquote, dabbles in it. And in regards to plagiocephaly, there are a lot of conditions that can mimic plagiocephaly. And so that is the one thing you do. They're not very common, but it's—you know that's why you come to a pediatric plastic surgeon, it's because they're going the, to be the ones that catch the uncommon ones, which can be uh, very detrimental to your child.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lau, and for sharing your expertise explaining these things, because parents... We get so scared so easily about things, and you've really given a lot of hope and and cleared everything up so very well. Thank you so much again for joining us. This is UK HealthCast with the University of Kentucky Healthcare. For more information, you can go to ukhealthcare.uky.edu. That's ukhealthcare.uky.edu. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for joining us today.